You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. And today we have an interesting topic. Again, this is one that you have all asked for and we are titling it. I'm all down on giving you the title these days, aren't I? Is it what you, is it what you sent me in an email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll do the PG version. Even though Carissa at some point will just take this straight to like M or R plus if she gets really X. out of control. <laughs> so we want to talk about why your symptoms are effed around your period. <laughs> or we did have it more in the first person. Why are my symptoms effed around my period? So we yeah. want to talk about when you are in that PMSE space through into potentially your period why your symptoms, whatever those symptoms are, or your health ailments can be worse. This is something we see all the time in clinic. We get asked about it a lot and we're constantly having a conversation with our clients about this. So it's a really juicy little topic. (laughs) Chris is nodding her head wildly. (laughs) It's like one of my favourite topics. (laughs) Such a goodie. Of course, it involves hormones, so she's frothing. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. So we thought it would be best to start with the cycle itself because everything's going to come back to this. So before we dive into the different types of things that can flare up and different types of symptoms... Let's have a conversation first about your cycle. And we're talking about the female menstrual cycle here as to, just (laughs) just to clarify, just to clarify, (laughs) I don't know, not a moon cycle, not a, I don't know what else. Krebs cycle. (laughs) The The methylation cycle. You need to clarify, Jess. That's it. Our listeners are already confused. Why are my symptoms effed around my Krebs cycle? We'd be like, eh? (laughs) And for everyone listening that doesn't know what a Krebs cycle is, don't even worry. (laughs) So, Miss Carissa, would you like to... Take the stage. Yeah, would you like to take the stage first? Because I know it's um, something that you love to chat about. So do you want to give everyone just a really general overview of what we mean firstly by your cycle and how the cycle works throughout the sort of classic sort of, you know, inverted commas, 28 days um, or wherever it fluctuates within that and the the different phases and um, we'll take it from there. Cool. So the menstrual cycle 101 by Carissa Mason. Okay, so normal cycle. Let's just, we'll just go through what a, a normal textbook cycle looks like because obviously we're not here to discuss PCOS and all the other things where things can go wrong. We've done podcasts about those, so if you guys want to listen to those, Jess will chuck them in the show notes. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Makes note. Show I love, notes. I love dropping you in that. 
was like, here's a bit more work. Um, um, so basically our menstrual cycle is our period cycle um, in most women with a more textbook slash normal functioning cycle it's usually you know from the you start day one is the day you start bleeding through till um then you go through the various phases which i'll explain and it's usually about 28 to 30 days before you start bleeding again so during that during that time we have a couple of phases so we have the easiest way I kind of say to my clients is to just break it up into four weeks and then divide the four weeks in half. So your first two weeks are what we call the follicular phase. So the follicular phase is obviously menstruation itself. So the, the bleed itself, which starts with day one, and that's a breakdown that is actually essentially just the breakdown of your uterine lining, which has built up over the two weeks prior to that. So it usually it's kind of build, builds up in the in the kind of like follicular phase as well but just kind of think of I'm gonna try and not make this too complicated actually because I will okay let's just say follicular phase first two weeks of the cycle you bleed probably for five to seven days or three to five days depending on what's normal for you so that's the break the actual bleed is the breakdown of your uterine lining and then you kind of got a bit of an amp up into ovulation which is mid-cycle so kind of around the two the end of the two-week mark so anywhere from kind of days let's say days 12 to 16, we have ovulation. Um, and then from ovulation onwards, we have what is called the luteal phase. And that's the last two weeks of your cycle before you get a period again. So there's different hormone fluctuations throughout all of that. But what we're gonna primarily focus on today is the luteal phase and the symptoms that are commonly associated with the luteal phase, which we know as PMS, which stands for, I'm a raging bitch, no premenstrual. <laughs> Pre-menstrual symptoms. So menstrual being your menstrual cycle, pre-being before. So, <laughs> so I absolutely love the luteal phase of the period cycle because sicko. I'm a sicko. <laughs> but I just think it's so fascinating and it's just such an awesome space to work in. Except like when I... you work with Carissa and she's in her luteal phase. <laughs> <laughs> and she throws shit around the clinic. No. <laughs> Uh, so our luteal phase basically is where essentially progesterone should be i'm gonna say this loosely but the more dominant Mm. kind of hormone so after you have the release of an egg at ovulation um, there's a big beautiful surge of progesterone that comes with that now progesterone is a beautiful hormone because it is very calming it's nice and chill It definitely shares a relationship with estrogen, but in a, in a really well-functioning hormone cycle and a, and a healthy functioning luteal phase, your PMS symptoms aren't really something that destroy your life. Yeah. So, so you get this beautiful surge of progesterone. There is a bit of an estrogen kind of peak in there as well, and that does and can happen at different times for different women. But usually we just get a bit of a, like for two or three days before you get your actual period bleed, things just feel a bit more heightened in a well-functioning luteal phase. Mm -hmm. So, and by a bit more heightened, we're a bit more sensitive to pain, our coping mechanisms or tolerance is lessened slightly. Um, we might be, we definitely can be a little bit more tired, um, yeah, a little bit more emotional, 
it's just definitely something that just if your period cycle is functioning well and we're going to go into all the reasons why it may not be it's obviously the point of us doing the podcast but when your period cycle is functioning well your luteal phase is actually a pretty nice space mm-hmm. so you ovulate you get this beautiful surge of progesterone you feel pretty calm chilled calm and collected um you know your period's coming in a couple of days you get a little bit of a dip in energy and then you know you might feel a little bit more emotional but then your period arrives and the cycle just repeats itself Mm -hmm. so pms so the premenstrual symptoms that i'm talking about with fatigue a little bit more emotional all that kind of stuff realistically shouldn't wreck your life they are Mm -hmm. definitely normal and part of a normal period cycle but they're not something that should be from ovulation onwards or the whole week before you get your period with crazy intensity and the intensity and types of PMS symptoms obviously varies from person to person. So what Jess and I want to talk about is that luteal phase not functioning. Well, not that it's not functioning, but the behind the scenes stuff impacting that luteal phase so much that those PMS symptoms are pretty unbearable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Nice, nice, nice. So (laughs) as Carissa just said, we want to talk about the whys and focus on this this particular space or this particular um, period of the cycle. Friday funny guys <laughs> yeah, you know when you sent that email sorry this is not on topic guys at all but about the flagging oh. I, was, <laughs> I was just literally gonna write back you're a dick <laughs> I think I'm actually losing it yeah I think Jess is just losing it a lot man. she sent an email as like cracking a funny and it was laughed because it was like a dad joke I am losing it I did it to the girls on reception yesterday afternoon I just was like I haven't spoken to them all day I've been flat out and it was like five and I sent them a just a a, um, email saying I think even in the title it was like you know hey how are you guys going and then just literally like haven't spoke to you all day and then well, haven't, haven't spoke to you, haven't heard boo from you all day. And then just wrote, so boo in capital and sent that. I'm like, what is wrong with you, you weirdo? That was my conversation yesterday with reception. I actually don't mind that. So boo. It's boo. Anyway, so. Anyway, back to periods. What we want to do is talk about some of the common areas that we see health-wise that are exacerbated first throughout this commonly this luteal phase and then have a conversation about the whys because you know we have as usual a structure of how we want to do this but it's going to be interesting because it's hard to talk about one without the other but also I think what you'll see is as we talk through these different areas that there's a lot of interrelated factors like and you'll probably even find that as we talk through some of these areas because it's not just always one area it can be multiple areas that are heightened in this spot so it can be really fascinating to see that link as well Mm -hmm. um and I think the other thing that we'll see is like it's it's a bit of a classic chicken egg situation um as far as like where like what's leading what um, sometimes as far as like, is it the, the, the actual phases of the, is it that luteal, say, <laughs> luteal phase, get your words out, Jessica, being dysfunctional or something going wrong there that's impacting back onto these symptoms, or is it a bit more of a vice versa situation? And usually it's a bit of a like mixing pot of the two. Mm, <laughs> so let's talk about my favorite first, which is gut, um, 
there's some common things we'll find in this luteal phase. Generally, if people are having issues, I would say it's like a classic, someone's got a dial and turned your symptoms up. So whatever your gut symptoms are, if you have a problematic gut, they can tend to be heightened in this time. Um, now, that being said, uh, with, as Carissa said, there's like more of a generally a progesterone surge at this time. <laughs> she just hit herself in the face with a water bottle, which she thinks hilarious. Um, <laughs> there is proge- progesterone is more of, as, as Chris also said, a calming hormone, but it also has the ability to sort of slow things down in the body. Um, there's a bit more bit more fluid that will come with progesterone and we'll see that in that PMS type space where women will feel like their body's holding a bit more fluid and they'll feel like things generally are a little bit more sluggish. Nothing nothing crazy in like a, a, a really lovely regular cycle, but they're inverted commas sort of common symptoms. But from a gut perspective, if if that's going on, what we can see is that 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 congestion um, or that extra in, little bit of increase in fluid and that slowing of things can mean that constipation can be a lot more dominant in that luteal phase. So if you already have issues with your bowels that tend towards constipation and things being a bit slow, it can definitely be heightened by what's going on with the hormones in this phase. Bloating can often be a lot more pronounced because you've already got this little bit of a more tendency towards holding on to fluid and that sort of sluggishness again if the bowels have slowed down so it can heighten that bloating but honestly guys like depending on what your symptoms are um, with your gut it can be that anything is essentially dialed up so just say um, you you're someone that's that suffers with a lot of reflux and indigestion and more sort of upper gastric symptoms that can be more pronounced in this space because of that dial up of what's going on with the hormones. Now, the only other thing I want to, without going down too much of a rabbit hole here, but the other thing I really want to highlight is back to what is going on with your microbiome and how this affects what's going on with the cycle. Because if you're a gut person who's having increased symptoms at this point and your microbiome isn't in the best of shape, it can mean that you may have certain bacteria in higher numbers um, that are more inflammatory and you may also have a higher um, amount of something we call beta-glucuronidase, which means that um, you're essentially with this enzyme, you're all, um, cleaving and um, breaking things down and releasing little toxins in the gut that are then being recycled back into the liver. Now, this is this this is happening in the gut all the time, but what we know with stool testing is that we can have a heightened amount of this beta-glucuronidase and if we're in this luteal phase and you have this propensity for this enzyme to be overactive, we can get this recycling of, I always use my air quotes and feel like I have to go, <laughs> um, these inverted commas, um, toxins and particularly hormones. So these metabolites that should be being cleared out through the gut or through our third phase detoxification end up being recycled and 
putting more pressure back into the liver and that that sort of detoxification space. So what I'm trying to explain as simply as possible without getting too complicated is that if you have a under-functioning or an inf- inflamed gut or a dysbiotic gut and problems with these like overgrowth of these inflammatory types of bacteria and particularly this kind of high beta-glucuronidase activity, then in this luteal phase, it can be a sort of mixed up (laughs) feedback loop as to why your cycle can end up being more pronounced with PMS symptoms. As Chris was saying, like you, it's, it's normal to have some, but it can get heightened because you've got this increased load on the liver. You're not detoxifying your hormones as effectively, and that can make you feel really crappy. And we can end up seeing more hormonal symptoms, mm. um, particularly things like really full-on breast tenderness, the moods, all of the other stuff we'll talk about as far as like really crazy heightened, like feel like you can't function PMS. So again, it's like this feedback loop. Like you're, it's very, very common for the gut. If you have problematic issues there to be more inflamed in that second phase. And we'll see that all the time. But what I want you to understand is that there's certain symptoms that will be often more pronounced, probably the biggest being constipation, bloating that sort of kind of classic more congestion but I'm not limiting to that I'm just sort of saying they're sort of like your majors but then don't forget there's also this like flux as far as like inflammation in the gut putting more pressure on hormones and detoxification through the liver then that in turn becomes mixed up so I feel like that's the main points that I want to bring up from like a gut point of view is there anything I've missed with the well, gut side I, that you're thinking yeah I just, and I think too maybe just noting that the gut is essentially like the third phase of hormone detoxification mm-hmm. and so obviously with everything that Jess has just said there and highlighted the things that can potentially be impacted or are go not go wrong but essentially like if your gut's not functioning optimally 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 you got you got whatever (laughs) you know then expect that what would be a slight heightened you know you know um symptom with your period is going to be much more and the other thing is throughout the entire hormone cycle if you have gut issues like all the stuff jess was just explaining with bacteria and all of that then you are gonna your your menstrual cycle as a whole is going to be impacted, not just this, um, not just this luteal phase or this PMS. So it's about like you've got to think of your gut as one of the biggest um, potential hormone elimination stages, mm. and the gut is so responsible for that. There's a really um, big amount of research at the moment getting pumped into what we call I call it the estrobolome. How do you yeah. say it? Estrobolome. Estrobolome. I tend to say. Yeah. Um, and so the estrobolome is um, now something, it's like a cluster of bacteria or a bacterial family in the gut that are very heavily involved in estrogen detoxification. Um, and, then, and then how that estrobolome, estrobolome, whatever we want to call it. EB. <laughs> EB. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
just started something from now and it's and your EB. However, your EB is functioning really can have a massive impact on your your sex drive, your um your your weight gain or your you know inability to lose weight or healthy weight management. They're starting to realize it interplays with the thyroid hormones. So it it is a bit of a newer space in terms of we're only kind of starting to understand its far-reaching effects but if you ignore the gut as part of even just um, hormone treatment or pms contributing you know a pms contributor i think you're missing a really big piece of the puzzle Mm. and i think so often people are just like oh we're just dealing with hormones so we're dealing with estrogen and progesterone and maybe the thyroid and maybe the adrenals but the gut has to be part of the considerations when we're talking about anything to do with hormones Mm -hmm. and just for literally all the things just said and the eb So that that actually flows nicely onto like the next space, which is that mental health, stress, anxiety component as far as things being heightened in this space, which I'd kind of would start with saying and then I'll like hand over to you in in regards to like the that that gut space. As we said, things are gonna be really interrelated. With your microbiome, there can be certain bacteria that can be either overgrown or conversely, we can get an undergrowth microbiome or something we call insufficiency dysbiosis, which can generally mean there's a real lower amount of um, beneficial bacteria that actually produce a lot of metabolites in relation to quality neurotransmitter function. Mm -hmm. So even back to the gut, like from a mental health space in relation to your cycle, we have to think about that when we're seeing heightened anxiety, depression, um, and other sort of mental health factors that fall into this luteal phase. Um, besides that, though, what do you see as far as so? There's some things I'm thinking, but to hand back over to you, as far as like increased classically, yeah, anxiety and depression. Um, yeah in this sort of luteal phase as far as those sort of patterns that we see more heightened as to to what's going on there. Yeah. So I'm going to probably bring it to the liver if we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Like is, are we we happy to move into liver? No. A bit? (laughs) No. (laughs) Two bags we are. (laughs) So the gut space is interesting for this because obviously, and this is probably a whole other topic when we're talking about mental health, but there's some really shit hot and cool conversations happening at the moment with butyrate and serotonin and yeah yeah i know (laughs) i'm listening to some really cool podcasts at the moment where we've got people talking about the effects of butyrate on our mental health and anyway jess and i can bang on about short chain fatty acids all day but that's not what we're talking about today but i'll put it in the show notes put in the show notes yeah do that jess (laughs) blog post (laughs) show notes yeah, blog post. Yeah, Jess wrote a really good blog post about this, which I do refer a lot of my clients back to when they need to understand the far-reaching effects of short-chain fatty acids. But just even in that space, like I think there's going to be, and this is speculative, of course, but maybe not so much. Um, I think there's going to be some really big research on the impacts of short-chain fatty acids and also hormone recycling. And when I say hormone, I'm not just talking again about reproductive hormone. We're starting to move into that catecholamine space now where we're talking about the breakdown of you know, um, adrenaline, noradrenaline, um, dopamine and all of that. So when we move up into like the neurochemical space and people that are more depressed, more anxious, 
um, you know, in, in that sort of luteal phase of their cycle. And even sometimes where it's borderlining on what we call, um, I forget what, it's an acronym, PMDD. It's like oh, premenstrual yeah, yeah. dis something. Dis- Dis something a disorder? Dysphoria disorder? Dysphoria. Dysphoria. Is it? I think. So it's basically, is it? Yeah, anyway, PM, PMD. Sorry, peeps that have it and you're just like, just Google get it. it. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> well, like, don't Google it. Google this, though. Um, <laughs> anyway, so PMDD is a, again, it's just kind of like a name that is given to people that do suffer very chronically with mood mood fluctuations in that luteal phase of their cycle to the point where I have seen people, a lot of people come to me that have been medicated for it or mm. have had medication. And we're talking about like um, SSRIs or, you know, um, SNRIs. So we're talking about like, you know, obviously the antidepressant um, medication class um, to help deal with just the far, how, like how catastrophic um, the, the luteal phase can be for some people in terms of mood. Now, what I think the biggest thing that, uh, we kind of want to articulate here is that it's it's not that you're I don't want to say you're not depressed in this stage stage of your cycle because you 100% feel all the absolute mm. feels of depression and anxiety and I can hands up I'm not saying this from a side of a table where I've never I don't know what it feels like to be anxious and have really bad anxiety because I have and I have had um, luteal phase associated anxiety and luteal phase associated anxiety attacks to the point where I've been hospitalized so I do understand that this is a very real fucking thing for mm. people however it's not so much of a in this part of the cycle it's not so much of a neurotransmitter imbalance as it is more of a neurotransmitter clearance and detoxification issue and when you get in and really work with someone with those pathways and when i'm saying pathways i'm talking about how your liver detoxifies your catecholamine so your you know your um your cortisol, your adrenaline, your noradrenaline, your dopamine, all of those, you know, neurotransmitters have to go through phase one and phase two detox. At the same time, you've got some big hormonal fluctuations happening from an estrogen and a progesterone point of view. And it is a big, big load on the liver. And if you're also consuming caffeine at that time and you're consuming extra alcohol at that time and you're consuming extra sugar at that time as coping mechanisms, your liver is just so overburdened that it will prioritize what it needs to do to, to get your keep your body safe and mm. it deprioritizes, almost just pushes a bit of a backlog to the things that can wait. And those things that can wait are your neurochemicals. So you get a heightened kind of built-up response with um, your cortisol clearing and your dopamine potentially metabolites clearing, stuff like that. And so instead of just having a normal um, response that would induce a bit of anxiety or a bit of stress and then that feeling goes away, that feeling hangs around because your liver's struggling. And then we've already chatted about the gut and the guts need to break down and move that hormone metabolites as well. It also plays a role in you know, like your, um, you know, your catecholamine metabolites and we we're talking about butyrate before. So if you've got a sluggish gut and you're not producing enough butyrate, you're going to struggle to make your serotonin and to make you feel good and override that anxiety response. So you can start to see there's kind of like this big circle of detoxification that needs to function really fucking well and mm. especially really well in your luteal phase for you to not feel anxious and not feel depressed. So I really love working in that space for people because I think, Sometimes people are told they have depression and they're told they have anxiety. And yes, you absolutely do by any, any you know, mainstream medical checklist. But what you actually have underlying that is a dysfunctional phase one and phase two and phase three gut mm. detox. 
of what's trying to happen in that cycle and just an overburden of that, you know, that, that beautiful detox cascade. And if you get in and give people the right support for, you know, what their liver needs and there's some big genetic components that come into this. We've got MTHFR, which we've chatted about. We've got COMPT, which we've chatted about. We've got MTR. There's some really cool genes involved in phase one and phase two detox, understanding how your phase one, um, you know, um, phase one, like CYP enzymes function for you is really important in this. And do you metabolize things really quickly? Do you metabolize things slowly is very important. But you can get in and work with this space for someone and really clean up their methylation and methionine cycle and really help them, their body detox estrogen and progesterone and their catecholamines more effectively and clean their gut up. And you can really open up this space to feel quite nice for someone as opposed to something that wrecks two weeks of their mm. life every month. Yeah, so. so well put. And what do you think for people who are listening going, oh my God, that sounds like me, from a point of view of having information here and, and knowing, okay, this is what's going on for this person. Are you thinking about, I know we've talked about it a lot, but that something like a Dutch test where you get that more of a yep. look into breakdown of hormones a bit of an idea about phase one phase two i'm guessing yeah. general bloods as well as far yeah. as but what else yeah. would you be wanting people to look at yeah so look i definitely think some of the big things too like i chat with my clients about because not everyone can do a dutch test some yeah. people are on hormonal like birth control and they need to be like if we're dealing with someone who's got endometriosis yeah. and a very aggressive endometriosis and coming off the pill for them is not an option yeah. right now. We can't really do a Dutch test, but we can run genetic panels and have a look yeah. at, do you actually carry the set of genes that have the SNPs and the variants on them that make you not detox estrogen effectively or impact how your B12 transporters function and mm -hmm. all of that. So we can get in and really work even just from a nutritional point of view by upregulating all the nutrients that you need, magnesium, B12, zinc, essential fatty acids in that whole you know, um, phase two detox pathway, we can get in and do a gut test or mm. even just clean up your gut. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes just cleaning up someone's gut and pulling them off just that, those, those extra things that are adding to that inflammatory, you know, burden, making sure they're not smashing more coffee than they need to be, making sure they're not smashing more booze around that time. I also love, um, for anyone listening, like that's just like, okay, well, I, I'm not seeing a nutritional practitioner, but what can I do? Like just you know, just understanding around that time of your period where you're feeling worse back, I get people to take everything out of their social calendar, mm. just while we're doing the work that we need to do. Because the more stress you create for yourself, the more this cycle, this, this kind of system becomes, you know, overburdened as well. So there's lots you can do just even just with diet, like just diet and lifestyle to really just positively impact this space from a mental health point of view. And then definitely work with a practitioner and we can if dutch testing is applicable we can do dutch testing if dutch testing is not we can run genetic panels and have a look at you know your methylation methionine estrogen detox genes and get into that cycle and if that's not something you want to do but your gut's a mess we'll get in and work on your gut and clean that up as well so yeah no so well put I, you know, other thing, I know it is i love hearing you, you just go into like passion land about it the only other thing i was just thinking about i mean yeah it's like everything you could go on and on about contributing factors but just with something like a a dutch i guess this is more dutch based but like you were talking right back at the start about progesterone being such a calming hormone overall so when we sometimes not sometimes all the time if we run something like a dutch panel we can get an idea of progesterone levels but also metabolites of progesterone and we mm. know there's certain metabolites that have the ability to cross that blood-brain barrier and um, have a really nice affinity with something called GABA, which is such a calming response in your brain. So 
there's little things, well, not little, there's big things like that we can mm. sometimes look at and evaluate as far as like maybe where your levels are at with progesterone or your breakdown and metabolites and maybe yeah. some specific support to do there. So sometimes even too, just the relationship between your progesterone and your estrogen, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to go on a massive estrogen driven rampage for this podcast because everyone knows <laughs> how much I love dealing with estrogen. However, if it, you don't have to be a super estrogen dominant or driven female to have the effects of estrogen behaving badly mm-hmm. if your progesterone's not in mm. check. Like if you're not producing good, exactly what Jess was saying, like good, beautiful amounts of progesterone and it's not crossing that blood-brain barrier and you are just slightly more estrogen-driven or you've got a couple of shitty estrogen detox genes, like you won't typically maybe tick all the estrogen-driven boxes in terms of, you know, like heavy, clotty, painful periods, all these things you guys have heard me talk about before when we've talked about estrogen-driven symptoms. Like you just, your progesterone and your estrogen just aren't functioning as optimally as they could together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, supporting supporting um, progesterone by just taking out some stress and stuff like that can be a nice little nice little space as well yeah so true and actually that you keep doing it you keep like giving me the perfect segue yeah is really we plan this guys we plan it we plan it all (laughs) is this is actually the the sort of hormones space itself or I, I guess I mean more the cycle itself like there's there's this luteal phase as far as like what we we're talking about is relatively normal from woman to woman, but then in this space also women can experience heightened symptoms. So, you know, you kind of just mentioned a lot of those, but um, yeah, definitely that sort of, it's like that dial again, someone's grabbed that PMS dial and dialed it up <laughs> full yeah. bore. So yeah. the, you know, the, the, the moods, are, whether it's the anger, the aggression, the teariness, but then definitely like the, the breast tenderness, the the bloating, all of those sites, the sorts of um, symptoms leading into the period, but then the actual, really importantly, the period itself. So yeah. as you were just saying, like, you know, the, the flow of the period, the heaviness, the clotting, is the blood lovely and bright and rich and fresh or is it quite dark and brown, um, you know, again, filled with lots of clots? How's the flow over those days? So if you're if you're someone who's got that really intensified lead up into your period and just feels like your PMS is really full on and then you're getting this bleed which is really clotted and um, it's sort of not that sort of fresh blood. I Sorry, to say guys. Blood bath. <laughs> what was that? I, I just want to say a literally a bloodbath. <laughs> and then, you know, as far as the flow for you, what's sort of normal for you and how that varies from month to month the timing like all of those things if 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 there's a lot of irregularities with that and if there's oh god how could I forget it if there's pain and cramping Mm. like realistically you shouldn't be relying on getting through your period with packets of painkillers like that's another sign for us that there's these underlying factors going on but the the pain and the intensity intensity of the bloating and the, the sort of flare up of like that um you know there's there's a little bit of tenderness maybe to the abdomen area for some women but it shouldn't be this just 
extended, blown out, sort of six-month pregnant-looking belly. Mm. And, of course, yeah. then there's the, like, conditions on top, like, as, as, as you mentioned, like, you know, with, we've got someone then on top of all of that has the endometriosis or the atomiosis or the fibroids or the PCOS. Like, we've, yeah. we've got that sort of extra layer. So... <sighs> You know, it's not there, – there's obviously these areas that we've just talked about that can be heightened in the luteal phase, but then there's the actual period itself and often that period will be rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> and skin, of course, the skin. And skin, <laughs> Your yeah, skin as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that pretty much, yeah, sums that up perfectly because it is it's, – it's that whole lead up and the first few days of that we really pay attention to in terms of what we can and need to be looking at if we're talking about, you know, your liver and your gut and your lifestyle mm. and what we need to be doing in, in that luteal phase to really make the, you know, the period, it's the PMS and the period itself very manageable for women. Some women, honestly, like, like their whole luteal phase is a shit show. Like from the time they ovulate, oh, yeah. like I know people listening to this are going, yeah, that's it's me. It's so true um, though. And some of my clients so have come to me like, I've, I've got like, I've got some classic stories of just, I love, I love to like asking how the husbands handle it or the partners handle it because it's so funny. Like I've got one, some clients whose husbands literally have calendars marked up and they know <laughs> they know the weeks things are coming and then and when I first like meet these clients and chat with these clients like you're just sitting there and you can't you, you if you don't laugh you'll cry right yeah. we've, we've, anyone who's had hormone dysregulation has been there I've been there I was a fucking nightmare before I sorted my hormones out like an absolute horror <laughs> to the point where <laughs> I don't know how someone didn't strangle me and bury me in a shallow grave somewhere <laughs> but I survived <laughs> here I am <laughs> but um but yeah, like I just, it's, it's sometimes it's not just even those few days of intensity for some people or a week. It's from the time they ovulate. Yeah. Things really are just full out. on. Like, so you're losing, you know, and this is, I think where PMDD comes into it more is that, you know, that whole two weeks out of every month for some women is just horrible for them. And I think there's a, there's so much we can do. Like, I know you, we want to chat about histamines and stuff, but I think there's so much to, yeah, that we can do, even just from a lifestyle point of view. Like I'm very, I think as I've gotten older and wiser, um, <laughs> I've become so much more respectful of the female menstrual cycle and really like, um, you know, playing a bit of a, we've got to take some, not some responsibility, but some accountability for the fact that this is a natural, beautiful cycle that happens mm. in every female body or most female bodies. Um, you know, and it's, it's something that, you know, you can't override with training and you can't override with, you know, um, you know, like you can't out train the shittiness of how you're going to feel like you're just adding more stress and like you can train amazingly sometimes for three weeks of a four week cycle, but yeah. that week leading up to your period, there's so many um, hormone changes happening yeah. and stuff like that. Like I spend a lot of time even just talking about lifestyle stuff. And I think that's, and I've learned that myself too. Like I ever like people in my family kind of laugh a bit, but the week leading up to my period cycle is pretty good for me these days, I yeah. have to say. But I still know, like I don't take on more than I need to. Yeah. I don't, you know, push myself to go to social things I don't need to. I don't overtrain in that week mm. leading up because they're just extra things that add to what could potentially be the difference between me having a relatively mild PMS cycle, which is normal mm. and for most women to something that just completely wipes me out. So true. And I think there's a lot of even research being done finally on the on the space of even training and 
more looking at women because there's been so much that's been done. It's just been based on men. And it's like, you know, we've got these different fluctuations (laughs) and these hormones that have a massive impact on what our body is doing and, and the gains that we're looking for in our training or whatever it is and how we should be thinking smartly or more wisely about what we do with our body from yeah. that perspective. But definitely, as you're just saying, like you can't, you can't have a conversation, a, a holistic conversation about this space without thinking about lifestyle and the pressure that you're putting onto your body in that particularly that luteal phase. But even, I mean, even in general, I know it's like a, again, like a really wide brush sort of scope, but you know, I always say to my clients, your period is a report card of the previous month or sometimes 100%. even the months before, you know, like it's, if you have a really shitty period in, and women can be like, oh, but you know, I've been really good these last, <laughs> these last couple of weeks, but it's like, let's have a conversation about how the, the last few months have been before that. Like usually, usually when you have a look at it, if it's anomaly sort of like period and it's been a real like crappy one, there'll be a reason. And a lot of the time it can be stress and lifestyle. I know even for myself, I see that still like if I have a really crappy period, I'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. Cause you know, the last month this happened or that happened. So don't, don't also underestimate what's going on in your life and the effect of stress because it's, it's another super profound factor in this and it, it definitely needs to be considered in how you treat yourself throughout your cycle and in that, particularly in that sort of sort of seven to 10 days at least leading up to your period yeah. and throughout your period. Yeah, I always like, I say that once I've got my clients to a stage where their cycles are, are good and we've cleaned up a lot of the PMS, I'm like, right, now moving forward so we mm. don't end up back here. Yeah. Your follicular phase, like the first few days of your period, you need to be chilling. The few days to the week leading up to your period, you need to be chilling, backing off social engagements, backing off exercise, resting if you feel you need to, all those things. From day sort of four to five, depending again on the person, but up to ovulation, do all the things because you're going to be fucking pumped for it. Like, you know, that's where you should be feeling a real heightened, you know, sense of your energy. Um, You definitely feel like you're optimistic. You're definitely more... Like for a lot of females, there's a beautiful surge of testosterone that happens in the few days leading up to ovulation. So go and shag your fucking brains out. It's a good time to do it. Uh, you know, don't get pregnant if you're trying not to, but it's, you know. So there's so much, so much beauty when you actually really start to respect your menstrual cycle and mm-hmm. and work with it that you can really just get the most out of, you know, every month by just understanding what, where you're at in your cycle. So I really love the post-ovulation week for me as well, like mm-hmm. the kind of middle two weeks are my favourite two yeah. weeks. Like, I, you know, and I really do a lot in that time and that's where I'm the most motivated and the most creative and all of that. And then, you know, I definitely know the week before I, I kind of, um, you know, just start to really dumb things down. And I, yeah. and I know when I don't do that, I kick myself because yeah. I'm like, you know that you're, you are someone who has shitty estrogen detox genes and all of the things. So, and if I don't do it, then I don't feel amazing. I don't have a great period and all mm-hmm. that. It's my, it, to be honest, sometimes it's my own fault. The cool thing is, is um, this is just like a bit of woo-woo, not woo-woo stuff like I believe it. But anyway, um, I'm really synced to the moon with my cycle, which is really cool. So, <laughs> do you 100%. know? Do you know? Just <laughs> no joke. I feel like I might have told you this before. Damien literally thought that all women got their period with the full moon. No oh, really? freaking joke. Like I can't wow. remember the conversation a few years ago, and I'm like are you freaking serious? Like, I'm like, you're joking, right? You, I never know when to take him seriously. I'm like, so you think 
or women all around the world and menstruating with I'm the moon. Bleeding at the same it's like, time. well, you know, the moon, full moons at different different sort of phases and different times. So, of the, so it's just like the different cycle. parts of the world. I'm like, oh man, you've still got this wrong. Yeah, wow. <laughs> He's been watching too many. Like, yeah, well, I'm the opposite because I ovulate with the full moon. Oh, so, okay. like, I get that beautiful full moon energy, but I'm just like pumped around the full moon. Like, yeah. Everyone, even my partner, Jake, he's like, great, she's going to be going out dancing naked with the tree <laughs> stuff around the full moon. She's ovulating and there's a full moon. <laughs> I wanted to actually just move on to, because you just mentioned it before, like histamine, but just as a, again, like a segue with the skin um, in general, which obviously falls into histamine a lot, but it's, it is just another super duper common uh, symptom from like an acne point of view and breakout point of view in this luteal phase. So I know for some of my clients, it's a biggie that they'll have that like follicular phase where their skin from an acne point of view feels good and calm. And even as we're working through their treatment protocols, like their skin is generally improving and there may be less cystic type spots, but they'll still see if there's going to be a flare it'll happen in that luteal phase it's like kind of a clockwork ovulate and then yep. boom <laughs> yep. so it's just another one I wanted to point out because um, I know we're going to talk next about histamine that there'll be like this sort of um, flare up with skin and without getting too pulled into the underlying factors as a whole nother area definitely I just want to highlight that back to what Krista was saying about detoxification the gut <sighs> third phase detoxification through the gut, but also the liver. And if that whole process as far as detoxification isn't functioning as effectively, it's going to put more of a backlog onto your other detox organs and your skin is one big mother effing detox <laughs> organ. So it's it's kind of one of the sort of major reasons besides what's going on with your hormones that you know, God, androgens, blah, blah, blah. Like again, show notes, show notes, show notes <laughs> um, as far as like what might be going on there. But the skin will be something that if you do have issues, we can see that heightened in that phase. But do you want to talk, because I know you'll be frothing to do it um, yes. more so about what we'll also see in this phase is histamine increasing as far as reactivity and the relationship there with hormones. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, I did vague out a little bit. I know you did. She was like, <laughs> what? Was, she was gone. Was Do you want me to say the question email. again? No, I was sending her emails to the reception girls. Because good news, guys, we might, sounds seems like we might have a little bit more time for Jess and I oh, really? talking. Yeah, okay. that's what I was just checking because I think my client literally was meant to be in five minutes has just moved. Okay. Like, so that's why I was just, I'm just confirming that before I need to cut cut this short. But what am I talking about? Histamine. <laughs> Histamine, <laughs> estrogen. estrogen relationship. Why do you guys even listen to us? We're so unplanned. We've got great pearls, but seriously, Jess and I don't plan anything. Um, all right, so histamine, estrogen. So histamine, where should we start? Start with histamine in the gut, histamine. Basically, okay, I'll just just start, an, Yeah, just, just a yeah, little just overview. overview. Just as to okay. why, just let people know why when they, after ovulation, Yep. It's really common that they'll start getting these histamine responses. Yeah, it's just which it's is. literally it's literally just the interplay between like histamine, histamine and your organs and your um and your gut really. So if you're someone histamine's an interesting space because I feel like there's is gonna be some more 
research that mm. comes out about it. However, like it's just, it's kind of like this new, not new space, but new space in terms of how much they're really starting to learn with it. But histamine's interesting in the sense that if you are someone who is more like histamine is that a word? Like It is now. It is now. <laughs> then that luteal phase of your cycle can really, again, amp up your histamine responses. So it has a lot to do with how estrogen and histamine kind of interplay with each other. But usually what we tend to start seeing is that because, again, it has it's part of this has to do with the liver and part mm. of this has to do with the gut, is that we tend to start to really see like a flare up in like, let's just say you're someone who gets rosacea, mm -hmm. then your, your rosacea will definitely or most likely be a lot more prevalent in that, you know, luteal phase because you've just got so much happening at the live in the liver and the gut space at that time that histamine degradation, degradation, God, we can't get our words today, Fridays, guys, um, is just in, impaired to a degree by... Um, I'm actually, I'm not sure if it's by estrogen or estrogen does it to histamine. One of, I can't quite remember at the moment. One of the two stops the other one or impact, slows the other one. Can you remember? I, I normally thought, know this, but I'm just, my brain's not as sharp. I today. thought it was more that there was like the histamine, as far as receptors go, it was the histamine yeah. actually binding, binding to, to the, the estrogen receptors. receptors. Mm. But also as you were just yeah. like, there's, there's that relationship between the two, but also I think it's multi-layered in what you were just saying is that we're also in a space where detoxification is often more potentially impaired or has more pressure on it. And then as far as clearance of histamine through different enzyme pathways that are involved in, in histamine breakdown, or as you were just yeah. saying, degradation or um, bacteria that are involved oh, with yeah. pr production of histamine. A lot of that can be either upregulated and your, your sort of histamine bucket as such can become um, it's full, full and overflow because you're not clearing it as effectively because of these other issues with detoxification yeah. that are being impaired by what's going on with the hormones. So it, again, it's that sort of that I'm glad kind of I'm relationship glad that, that can. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, what she said. It's that relationship <laughs> like, between. I explain this so well to my clients and then today I'm just like. <laughs> it's that like kind of feedback loop that ends up happening. And I think the other thing is, as you said earlier, is that it's, it's about that relationship again between progesterone and estrogen. So it's that delicate relationship and you know just because it doesn't mean that you're like estrogen dominant per no. se it can be like what the relationship looks like between between your progesterone and your estrogen in that luteal phase and, um, and how that estrogen is behaving or how um like what sort of metabolites of estrogen you're producing or um, all of these other factors so it doesn't always mean that you're like this crazy estrogen dominant person it's just how that estrogen is behaving and that sort of binding of receptors between histamine and, and estrogen so it's yeah, again it's it's kind of complicated and there's not just one thing and the I interesting think, thing is they're all interrelated to what we we're just saying as yeah, other previous exactly. factors and I think I think the symptoms, I oh, because I started to go that straight down the symptom thing. So the symptoms people are going to experience if you have histamine, like let's say 
period, luteal phase associated histamine issues, right? Mm -hmm. So the the symptoms you're going to experience that definitely where histamine could also be becoming involved in this is um, definitely skin flares and rosacea, redness, all of that. So just blotchiness, anything like that, definitely. More anxiety, definitely. Um, Histamine, histamine can be a big anxiety or histamine issues, not can be a big anxiety driver. Um, we can, we definitely, we see, I see a lot of girls that get like that racy sort of heart. They're very, and they're very hot. Um, they're definitely more reactive to a lot of their foods and their environment in their luteal phase. So like things that normally wouldn't set you off tend to start setting you off. So certain smells you're a lot, you know, a lot stronger to or sneezy to or perfumes and things like that. When you might get on a train or that classic, I walk down the supermarket aisle and the washing powers were just so, they gave me a headache. Mm-hmm. You can get migraines in the lead up. So migraines and headaches in that, in that luteal phase and even around the time of the period, sometimes estrogen, some, sometimes and more likely estrogen and histamine or just histamine. So some of the things that I do find, again, help that I talk to my clients about, if you're not a histamine person in general, but you do get some of these histamine-associated symptoms in your luteal phase, I get people to just back off them for the luteal phase. And I'm like, right, during your luteal phase, and obviously usually, let's be honest, there is other work that needs to be done because the histamine bucket is probably full and we'll be working on that. But if someone doesn't need to be on a fully low histamine diet all of the time, I'll use it maybe 10 days leading up to their mm-hmm. period cycle. And at the, and we're kind of talking about your big histamine driving foods and, you know, anything that's kind of, you know, so like um, anything aged, fermented, krauts, kombuchas, um, smoked fish, posada sauces. I don't go, you know, I don't say to people, you need to be fully low histamine. Yeah. But I'm like, let's just back all these, back off all these big histamine producers so your bucket's not as full when estrogen starts moving itself about and doing its things. And, you know, and then we, then sometimes even too, I'll go in with um, estrogen, more, some more histamine reducing supplements at that time as well. So. Yeah in those initial stages of kind of helping someone work out. Once you clean someone's detox pathways up and their gut up and all of that, a lot of, to be honest, sometimes and a good majority of the time, a lot of the histamine stuff goes away. Exactly. So. Exactly. Which again, yeah, highlights back to what we're talking about to start with. Like, yeah, the, that whole relationship back to what's going on in the gut and, and detoxification and how these are all super duper interrelated. Um, and histamine histamine really impacts people's mood as well like it's definitely an anxiety isn't it yeah it's a big anxiety kind of like almost like i'm sitting here kind of like shaking my hands but those people that are just so stressed in their luteal phase like not depressed but hyper anxious hyper aware insomnia like just you know it's just you're going to kind of think everything's kind of like just the same but dialed up but you've got like histamine just being so fucking pinging to the body like and it pisses off your neurological system and it yep. pisses off this <laughs> and you know quite often you know histamine people aren't I'm not like aren't more commonly depressed and down and low mood they're usually more heightened definitely hey as an say. FYI for you and anyone else that's interested I just double check while you're talking it's <laughs> it's the receptors on the mast cells which for those kids playing at home which are part of your immune system the these cells that release histamine so it's the estrogen receptors and progesterone but estrogen receptors on the mast cells that the histamines bind to and then sorry that the sorry 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 that the estrogen binds to the mast cells all the progesterone binds to these mast cells on 
these little receptor sites and then mast cells release histamine. So yeah, we admit that's okay. what we're missing in between. It's yeah. the actually with those receptors between the, the that sort of response between the hormones and the release of the histamine and it's these cells that are involved. Yeah. That's the part of, that we, there we missed. Go. Off for the top for of anyone our heads. that needs the more techie in-depth stuff that <laughs> Jess and I clearly aren't good at providing on a Friday. <laughs> Hey, everyone else goes into their podcast. I think that's why I'm hoping people enjoy listening to us because it's just like real sharing our knowledge in an easy to understand way, but we don't have like piles of research and notes that we've done to be planned before. This is like everything from our heads. So if we don't remember that there's a particular cell (laughs) that has these receptors, you know, like come on. Yeah, I give yeah, us a whole pass for that. Yeah, I give us a whole pass as well because, yeah, we do not – we literally pick a topic, like I know we've said this, but we literally pick our topic of discussion the morning before and then we literally usually, which we didn't even do today, we literally write about five dot points of the main things we want to cover and then we just start speaking. So today we didn't even write dot points. We're like, let's talk about PMS. All right. Well, I think the other thing too – with these podcasts for us is that it's a really good, I was thinking about this earlier, it's such a good representation of, to a point with consultations, like we're spending, you know, so many hours with clients going through their health and their cases. And and a lot of what we do in a consultation is reiterate back to clients what's going on for them and why and how in an easy to understand way. So, you know, it, it, it's easy for us to do this. It's easy. It's like on the spot if someone's like, this is, you know, today, like, oh, I've come to see you because I've got like this crazy like PMS and these symptoms. It's just like bang, 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 you know, like it's, yeah. it doesn't, it shouldn't, you know, I, I personally think as like good practitioners or great practitioners <laughs> <laughs> that it's, we, sh- we should be able to do this. We shouldn't have to sit down for an hour last night and do research, Re- research on like on the topics. underlining factors. Yeah. If we no. did, then I'd be like, well, you know, we know that's not shit. ideal. <laughs> we're not, <Yeah. laughs> we're not in like last year of like study of becoming a nutritionist. We're uh, got our big boots on. So anyway, big girl panties on these days. So um, to finish yeah. up, I've, we've obviously covered this in bits, but let's talk about, all of these Let's things, the why. Summarize. Let's summarize. Like why, 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 why? <laughs> why are yeah. we getting overall um, this sort of increase of symptom load? Now, we've kind of talked about why in relation to these different points. But do <laughs> dare I say back to you before you're like, ah, don't throw the ball at me. But no, 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 throw as far me, as this, this sort of... <laughs> From, e- from ovulation into this luteal phase, why can we see a dysfunctional space here as far as the symptoms we're just talking about, but also how can this luteal phase be in itself not functioning as effectively? So I guess I'm asking more about like what can go awry with the hormones yeah, to a point okay. in this space that then throws back into that sort of chicken and egg situation. I know that's so- a big question, but... Yeah, too bad. <laughs> yeah, too bad. Um, so it's probably, again, it, it's, it is a bit of a chicken and egg thing because you, you can't kind of blame the hormones yeah. because the hormones essentially will do the right thing if the other things that we've talked about, so your you stress hormones, your liver, your gut, 
you know, your gene- your, de- your genetics of your detox genes and all of that, if they're if that's all functioning well, then realistically your hormones will behave. However, there are things that will kind of change how your hormones behave and maybe that's probably where I think genetics is probably the the better way to go back to it because there's things that are going to be like you could say to me, well, Chris, I don't drink coffee, I mm. don't drink booze, I take um you know i've got a really well functioning liver i think i've got a really well functioning gut i don't get any histamine signs around my period why the fuck do i have pms yeah you know why am i really anxious before i get my period and why am i really why do i get swollen breasts and all yeah. that and then i think that comes back to specific you know cycle cycles in the body that aren't period cycles i knew we'd get there eventually <laughs> but then i think that's where you want to come back to okay what are and this is where obviously jess and i always go what are the big core drivers like if we clean up all the basic stuff for you mm. and we give you the right nutritional support for that to happen then the the hormone things that we want to start looking at again come back to the progesterone surges the balance yeah. you know the progesterone surge and and how strong that progesterone surge is and what actually impacts that um, our estrogen and how driven it is. And definitely, again, some women produce more estrogen, but do they or do they just not detox it properly? Exactly. Or do they just have yeah. other inflammatory states that cause estrogen to become more prevalent and mm-hmm. you know the body is stressed so it creates more fat cells to store estrogen or estrogen is your 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 diet is iodine deficient or you're low in iron therefore your thyroid function is different and that impacts how your estrogen behaves so i don't feel like i don't feel like you can answer the kind of that question black and whitely if that makes sense oh, because so i feel agree. That's, but I, yeah explaining yeah, I, that relationship really well i feel like no matter what it comes back to your hormones you can get your you'll always your hormones are always going to want to behave themselves if they've got the right environment to do that but yeah. it's for everyone that environment is different you've let you've got your genetics you've got your environment that can trigger your genetics you've got your you know your liver and everything that can impact your liver you've got your stress you've got what inflames you versus what doesn't how your gut behaves mm-hmm. and they're all things you need to look at if you feel like this is purely a hormonal issue and if you address all of that and your hormones still don't function well i don't i'd be surprised <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah yeah no it's so true and that's why i think it was really important to leave that to last because it isn't, it isn't just an easy, clear-cut answer. And as I hope everyone has seen, this is all like an interrelated web of everything affecting each other. And it's why when you work in this area, it's kind of working out that sort of core driver as such that we always talk about. And as you chip away at that and figure out the complexities of what's going on, you see that lovely flow-on effect to everything. So, yes the cycle itself may become less painful. It may become less, um, you know, more regulated. There may be less clotting, but as those things happen, it may be for a person that their skin improves and their gut's slowly getting better. So it's why, it's why classically when we, for women, we work on their gut, they come to see us for their gut and they don't even mention anything about their period. We ask. We ask. (laughs) (laughs) But they will tell us a lot of the time, three to four months after making changes and working on their gut, they're like, I can't believe it. Like my, um, you know, I used to get this 
breast tenderness and it's gone or I used to get this and it's gone. Is that normal? Like, I don't know how many times I've heard those questions yeah. um, when you're just working away on their gut issues. So it's just, it's constantly something that we see. Um, and again, it's just really cool to talk about it um, as, as to why it happens. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of brings to that last area as far as like normality. I was saying to Chris before we started, I want to also talk about like, normality in this space and I think you you sort of mentioned it at the start right like it's just (laughs) um you know we're not I was saying to her at the start it's like we're not robots we are women with cycles there are these fluctuations within our cycle so if you do have symptoms like either some form of PMS symptoms that we talked about or even if things do become slightly say if you're a digestive person you're just like oh I just feel a little bit more sluggish a few days out from my period or I just feel like I don't feel that sort of get up and go spark as well like it's not freaking out about that like I don't know how many times particularly with the gut space when things aren't we've talked about this another one one in the show notes as far as you know this concept of perfect health or the perfect stool or whatever it is like I can tell you right now, even with myself, like I know a couple of days before I get my period that I'm going to start to feel like my bowels slow down a little bit and I feel a little bit more kind of bloated around the midsection. That's fine. That's my progesterone. That's hunky-dory. Like just um, wear a loose, looser shirt and don't put on the tight tights and go yeah. for a walk and get out in nature. Like please understand that you you have a cycle and with that cycle comes changes in how you feel and we don't want to make out that there shouldn't be any form of fluctuation. I think the few days leading up to, towards my period, and this is legit, like, and I've got my period, you know, and it's, you know, over the years it's had its ups and downs, and but I've definitely, like, spent, I, spent, I have spent so much time working on my menstrual cycle and I know how impacted it is by stress and mm-hmm. all the things, but I still, even when she's functioning at her best, the two to three days leading up to my period just want to leave Mick, get my fucking dog, quit my job, (laughs) love you Jess, but quit my job and fuck off into a treehouse in the rainforest and live the rest of my life there. (laughs) And then when I get my period, that feeling goes away. (laughs) It's just like I have this feeling of like I just want to disappear into the bush like a freaking rainforest fairy and live in a hut with no communication for the re- from the rest of the world with my dog. And I would so happily do that in those two days leading up to my period. <laughs> then I get my, my period. It's like this switch just, and yes. I, I'm not like, I'm not hostile to anyone or anything. I just have these thoughts. Like, I'm just like, yep. I could just fuck off right now. And I'd be so happy, you know, yep. like, and I'm happy the rest of my periods. Like, and then I get my period. It's like this switch. It is a switch feeling, switch, isn't it? It's the weirdest it? feeling. It's the weirdest thing. Sometimes it's as soon as you get it or it's within the first few hours of the, you know, the breathe intensifying. All of a sudden you're like, I love you, babe. Life's great. Like, it's <laughs> good. I'll even feel that, like that switch even from like Bao's point of view. Like I'll feel that switch and I'll be like, oh, got to go to the toilet. And yeah, then and just then do it like a, a really massive big poo. Like, yes. and like, oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. Life's good again. Out you go. Out you go, you toxic little turd. <laughs> but it's so true eh? what I would absolutely love and we'll do this when we put this podcast up in the actual post but for you guys listening 
I would love you to share, as always, this podcast in your stories or in your feed. But when you do, I want you to <laughs> list three things that when you were in that PMS state, like Carissa just talked about, two to three days out before your period, what are three things that you want to do? We would love to know. Yes. I had this what conversation with my clients that- and we are just crying with laughter at some of the things that come out. And just even some of the terminology that partners use or that we use about ourselves. Like, yeah. Oh, I just spend so much time laughing with my clients about this because, like you said, it is something that we're treating and we're taking seriously in the clinic. But fuck me, if you don't laugh, you cry sometimes. Oh, like, man. Yeah. seriously, like, I just think back to some of the fights I had with my ex in my early 20s, like before I understood my yeah. menstrual cycle and was on the pill as well. So I was even more of a psychotic fucking nut job. And, like, <laughs> I just think back to some of the fights we had, you know, this is like, you know, 17 you know, 16, 17 years ago now, but far out, I was just, I was just a psychopath. Like if I hadn't been put in a padded cell, that would have been okay. But like 36 year old Carissa would have allowed 20 year old Carissa to be locked up. Like, <laughs> but seriously, but um, the other thing I did want to say that it, I think from expectations, which I know I think is the biggest thing too. Mm. And we talk about this when we, we talk about this with the gut, we talk about this with, anything you're living with, like with your health stuff and all of that, like the expectation that, and for some people it will be, be a dream journey and you'll, we'll work out what your yeah. drivers are for your PMS and you won't need to take supplements ongoing and perfect. Good on you. That, I'm, I, that is my, my, my absolute hope for most people. The reality though, for the, the majority of us is that if you have some sort of, you know, methylation, um, methionine cycle dysregulation and there's a lot of nutrients that are involved in that cycle functioning correctly and that is a cycle that does have to do with the detox of all of your hormones your stress hormones and all of that and that is a cycle I really two kind of cycles that interplay that I really focus on when I'm dealing with luteal phase hormonal issues and you know um, emotional issues and stuff for women there's a lot of chance you're going to need some ongoing support in that area, full mm. stop, from a supplement point of view. And you just, you know, some people will 100% sort it out with just, you know, food and lifestyle and bloody perfect, awesome, yeah. best case scenario. However, the more we learn about our genes, and I know that genetics don't dictate your health outcomes 100%, but they definitely influence things. And mm. if you are someone who doesn't, you know, you know, transport B12 very well, or you are someone who doesn't deal with B6 very well, or you are someone who has snips on your vitamin D activation genes and you don't, that you're going to need to stay on top of, you know, those nutrients, whether it be through food or supplementation, if you want these cycles to function optimally. And that is just, that is just the cold hard truth of it yeah. like to be honest like you know i do not do well off magnesium yeah stop. i yeah. for my period and my period cycle and just my stress in general Same. you take magnesium off me and no matter how well i eat how much i don't drink from an alcohol perspective <laughs> how much i exercise to keep my head clear yeah. my body needs certain b vitamins and it needs cert- yeah. and it needs certain levels of magnesium to be yeah optimal for me and yeah. that's just and i that's just how it is so I think some people go, am I going to have to take this forever? And I'm going to have to do this forever. And I'm like, look, no, you don't have to. And no, you won't have to take all of these supplements mm. that I've got you on now while we're dealing with this acutely. But long term, yeah. if you want to run a genetic panel, I'll tell you what you need to be on long term. Exactly. Or 
or just know that you just have an increased demand for B12 that no matter how much red meat you eat, which obviously we don't want people eating a shit ton of red meat anyway, but you know, no matter how much of, you know, these certain foods you eat, you've just, because of, you know, the blueprint you've been dealt with, Mm. you've just got an increased need for this and supplements are just the way to do it. And particularly if like your lifestyle is the way it is right now, right? Like it's, it's like all those things you're saying as far as like increased demand when you've got these, these sort of underlying genetic factors to consider. But like it's, it's like even as you're saying with yourself right now, you know what you need to support you yeah. no matter what you do with food and lifestyle. But, you know, in 10 years' time, if you are like living on an island, living in my living in, in my heart, like, tropical rainforest you know? in my tree hut with no stress. Yeah, yeah, and that kind of comes back to that lifestyle factor, right? Like you know, yeah. always from have you actually? I was going to say you know from a genetic point of view. I don't think have you actually done your. Te- I've have done. You- I've done certain. Oh, you have. Done, okay, full, I haven't done a so, full panel yet. I'm, um, but I'm you know, you know what I mean, right? It's like yeah. you know, as like again right back to that whole point of like how people are living their lives and the sort of Mm. sort of drain that it can create on that increased requirement for nutrients so if you already have like a predisposition to um you know whether how how your um your b12 transport functions like it's also about like how much of a demand you have day to day on the utilization of b12 so i don't know it's just it just fascinates me as far as like that question because we get it a lot with chronic conditions like how long will i have to be on this is it for life is you know this is just like you know where is it is it the end of the world if it is like yeah also and like i don't know what the rest of your life's going to look like too as well like i'm supporting you now and whilst we're working together and giving you all of that information to do the best that you can. Um, but there's also a whole life to live ahead here and there's other factors as well. So. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Anything. I just always, I was just going to say too, I just always also think like it's about quality of life too. Like, you know, like if it means you have to take a couple of supplements, but you feel the, the difference is when you're eating well, training, doing all the lifestyle stuff, but, you know, like you just know you have a predisposition to be a more anxious person or, you yeah. know, slip into those pits of depression no matter what you do, you know, to look after yourself. And it's the difference between you feeling 60% or 90% yeah. most of the time and the difference is taking a couple of supplements. I choose the supplements. Same. Like, you know. So the same. I know I've got my core couple <laughs> I've got that my I core need. Group. And like, well, I'm my lifestyle is the way that it is, and with where I know my body needs support, like, yeah. you know, it's it's just a non-negotiable. In saying that, yeah. I can be shit at like we can be as nutritionists looking after ourselves with keeping yeah. on top of our supplements. But then it's a good kick up the ass because if I forget to order mm-hmm. my stuff and get it sent down, and I go sometimes, you know, I've pushed it to like a good sort of like two months or something like that and I've had a couple of my period again for this conversation is what will tend to be a big factor because two months on or even the third one I get my period and it's a doozy and there's pain and I haven't taken painkillers for ages and I'm like hunting for the naprogesics and you know I've got breast tenderness and I've got all you know it's 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 those those things they're like a little knock on the door it's like oh yeah okay so what have you not been doing Jessica (laughs) yeah and I'm the same and like I'm I'm a bit like and I know a lot of my clients get like this not all of them but I think it's totally justified in when you are dealing with like chronic health stuff and most of us have got our own story and our own, you know, our health thing. Like mine has, mine has been a massive mental health and hormone journey over my life in terms of sorting all of that out and getting myself to a good place and, and all of that. But 
I get like a little bloody spoiled brat and I'm like, I'm sick of this shit. I don't, don't want to take supplements. <laughs> yeah, like, so true. I'm just like, I eat well, I exercise, I do all the, I, you know, I keep my headspace clear as much as I can. Yes, I've got, we've got high stress jobs, but we love them. But, you know, like, and I'm just like, I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of having to take three powders a day and do, and I stop and I'm like a little bloody, you know, tanty thrown child and I just don't take anything and I'm like and I'm okay and I'm okay and I'm okay and then I'm not and I'm like okay (laughs) and my clients do it as well like we have jokes about it like they'll stop taking their thyroid support or they'll stop taking their you know their bees and maybe some whatever it may be and you know and they don't you know they They just decide don't they they're just like I don't think I need this anymore yeah, it's so funny. And I totally get it because I do it myself and I say that to them. Like, we have a good laugh about it. I might not have spoken to them for six months and they've been off their stuff for three because, you know, they're all on maintenance now. And they, they email me and they're like, can we have a console? And they're like, can we have a chat? I'm like, what have you been doing? And they're like, oh, I've been eating gluten again because, you know, a little bit didn't really upset me and I've stopped taking this and I've stopped taking the back. I'm like, all right, let's just give you – like, and that's literally what they want to consult for, a little bit of a kick up the ass yeah, or a little exactly. bit of a check-in just to be like, okay – I'm like, look, mate, I've been there as well. I do it as well. You know how much I push gluten sometimes, Jess. Jess knows. She just laughs at me. (laughs) I've seen the cycles. (laughs) I literally am, mate. The gluten and dairy cycles, I'm like so good for ages. And I'm like, I'll just have a little bit. Jess, I'm fine with dairy. And you're like, like, no, you're not. And I'm like, no, I'm having bits of it and I'm fine. You're like, here we fucking go again. (laughs) And then, like, what, three weeks later, I've got allergies, little eczema bits under my eyes. I'm like, I'm not fine with dairy. <laughs> Man, I wish I had 10 bucks every time I've seen that cycle over the years. <laughs> so true, though. So, yeah, like, it definitely, you know, we, we go through it as well with yeah. when it comes to that. But we also know that underlying it, some there's just some shit you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I really hope that this has been uh, also well enjoyable, fun <laughs> chat, but also very educational. I think it'll be a good one for a lot of women out there because it's it's dragged in a lot of common health areas and health conditions. But I think it's a really, as always, important space to talk about and to understand what's going on. Um, and to understand it's part of this sort of cycle um, of moving through your health. Yes. So, as I said earlier, share away, peeps. We love it when you share. share but seriously, yeah, share we'd, I'd love to hear any any little uh, comments Such that you have idea. about your um your things, your things in that crazy <laughs> space. <laughs> oh, the things that go through our head. Yeah. Because Definitely if you can't that, laugh though, about like, it, yeah, you literally will cry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or kill someone. <laughs> I think my uh, my last cycle included a hundred and ten dollar order of chocolate from Noosa Chocolate Factory, <laughs> which now has a very big box of honeycomb oh, <laughs> chocolate coated or love lumps as Chris calls them in the cupboard. Love lumps. Ugh, yeah. Way too much honeycomb in this house now. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's like you have to do. I feel like you have to do that sometimes with chocolate for like. I feel like I just once in a while I'll just have an OD on it like yeah, before like my that. period cycle yeah. and then I won't touch it again for months. It's like I need to – I'm very all or nothing. It's like I basically need to nearly kill myself to realise that it's just not okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely am a chocolate everyday person but when my one of my things definitely in that PMS couple of like two, three days out is 
the chocolate consumption is like next level. Like I just want so much of it. That's when I'd be more likely to get one of those packets of of the love lumps and just devour the whole thing and then go to bed feeling (laughs) sick for half the night and then wake up the next morning and go, oh, okay, that makes sense why. Yeah. You eat chocolate every day. You're a chocolate every day person. Yeah, every night. Yeah, every I've night. Somebody, I've got a lot of clients like that. That's yeah. just their thing. Like they'll have like a Love couple it. of squares of dark chocolate or yep. a bit of this. Yeah. Every night it's... I do my, like, I used to do the, when I was up there, because I could more, the Noosa 100% with yeah. my dandy, but now I do the 95% lint stuff um, and alternate it with some others. But usually it's a couple of squares of the 95% lint. Yeah. Is that an after dinner thing for you? Yeah, about a good half hour, three quarters of an hour after. Like I'll have my dandy and then my um, then my my chocolate. I just Mm. yeah, and if I don't do it, I just I really miss it. Like I just it's those little it's like your coffee in the morning for me. It's my matcha to start the day, and that really punctuates the end of my day. I remember when I did years ago the SIBO test. The thing that pissed me off the most about it, like I could deal with the shit food through the day, but it was a fact I couldn't have my matcha, and then I couldn't have my dandelion. And my chocolate at the end, yeah. like that did my freaking head in. So <laughs> they're my things. They're my yeah, must-haves. I, I don't have an end-of-night ritual. I was just thinking that. I've got like my morning ritual definitely is yeah. my coffee, my little headspace. Just your dinner that, and then that's it. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, like I, yeah. A lot of people don't. But then I'm I feel like a lot of people person. do have yeah, like what? at least a cup of tea or something like that. It's an interesting one. Although I've never been a, um, I know some clients that you'll talk to have got that sort of little like post lunch thing where they'll do their have their lunch and then they want to eat a piece of chocolate or have a piece That's of fruit. That's probably where I'm more likely to do it. Is that more like that mid arvo? Yeah, it's almost like a brain break for me. Yeah, home stretch, and I kind of like yeah, like I have a piccolo or I have like yeah, like a collagen hot chocolate or something. Yeah, and like a bliss ball or something. I feel like that's where I have my little. Mine's more that kind of, yeah, just to break up the last, the home stretch. <laughs> the home stretch. I may do that, stretch. that one as well sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> My latest thing I, I had is... a wee spa last night. A witch? A wee spa? A wee spa. Oh, are they yeah, nice? They look like they've been... Yeah, it's like coconut, coconutty with macadamias. Um, Mick, mm. Mick just had them in the fridge. He's like, you want a wee spa? And I'm like, okay. Not something I would normally do, but okay. It was nice. Have you had the Panna chocolate, like the, um, the ice creams? You know, the ones mm. that actually sell that are on the stick? No. Me neither. I haven't tasted them. No, I do love the panel the panel blocks though. Like the like, chocolate blocks. Yeah, but the problem is is like again, me and my personality is I can't buy one of those little blocks that have yeah. got the six squares in them and just have two squares. Like yeah. the, the six squares are gone. <laughs> like so just don't buy it. They're doing a honeycomb flavoured one now, FYI. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Pan and there's like... a peanut flavoured one which is really I don't like oh, it. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love my panna, but I don't buy it very often. Anyway. anyway, we're just we're just having a chat, guys. Sorry, this we're probably meant to end this. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for listening. And <laughs> the last part. if you've got any questions, you know where to find us on all the socials. Um, yep. Leave us a review. Love hearing all of your uh, feedback. And don't forget to share the three things you three yes. things you do or think in the lead up to your period. Yeah. Oh, no, nothing is inappropriate. <laughs> Be really honest. Exactly. I just said I was going to leave the man I love. So <laughs> you can say whatever you like. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, guys. And we'll chat to you next time. Chat to you soon. Bye.